0: That's not patriotic. That's sedition. That's heresy. For thousands of years, people have questioned the decisions of their overlords and have been suppressed. Sometimes by burning at the stake or machine gun fire, sometimes by secret agents and subversion, sometimes by financial sanctions and sabotage. Immutable platforms and privacy coins resist censorship in different ways. Do we want the future they promise? Join me as we consider 2,500 years of human thought in philosophy, psychology, economics, history, and more to make better decisions in the future of blockchain and cryptocurrency. I'm Peter Kay, and this is Wittgenstein's Table. excited to have the podcast on many more platforms now, including Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, Apple Podcasts, YouTube and SoundCloud. There are half a dozen more too. So check your favorite podcast platform and leave a review to help others find Bittgenstein's Table. I'm the Director of Globalization at ICO Alert. The views expressed on this podcast are my own or those of my guests or the books I review and not the views of ICO Alert or any other entity. Remember that none of this is specific financial advice. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes. So I hope it helps you learn and enjoy life. Policing the thoughts of the people has always been a difficult and bloody affair. For most of human history, The mere suggestion that you were guilty of heresy, sedition, capitalism in the Soviet Union, or communism under McCarthy, meant death, or at least social death. Whoever holds power believes that their thinking is right, obviously, and that the thinking of all others is wrong and should be suppressed. No major movement has been an exception to this rule. Under Roman imperial dominion. Christians were massacred. Under Christian dominion, Aryans were massacred. Under Islamic Mongol dominion, Christians were first treated well, and then they were massacred, after a battle in Turkey went the wrong way and the tolerance of Christians was blamed for the defeat. Violence between religions continues in various ways today in Nigeria, India, the Philippines, Indonesia, and more. But suppressing the thoughts of others isn't just about heresy. It's not just a religious tendency, it's a general human tendency. Governments have long feared those who speak out against their practices. Sedition, they call it. Some in the American colonies were hanged for it. Some in pre-Revolution France and Russia were executed for it. As the tide turned in all three countries and the revolutions started to succeed, The murders swung the other way. Suspected Tories were lynched, suspected monarchists were slain by the guillotine, and suspected Tsarists and capitalist spies were shot and shipped to Siberia by the Thousand. Governments are terrified, and so they decide they must also be terrifying. Sometimes these acts of terror seem to work. You've probably read the book 1984 by George Orwell, Big Brother Wins in the End, and thought rebellions are squashed. Sometimes that's how it goes. Other times, government suppression backfires, and the flames of criticism are only fueled as martyrs are created, and the cause grows more powerful. In both my digital and physical circles, there are recent stories of specific individuals being censored by corporations. The two recent stories i followed most closely involved two very different people, and the censorship was conducted by two very different organizations, but for the same reason. Censorship is a single phenomenon that can cut both ways. Rob Rogers is one of those two people. He has been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Editorial Cartooning. For 34 years, since the year 1984. Hey, look at that, 1984 again. Rogers has drawn political cartoons for the press in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area in the United States. Rob Rogers was fired earlier this year, 2018. And the final straw in the story seems obvious. A political cartoon Rogers drew that was critical of United States President Donald Trump. Shortly after this happened, another story broke. Divisive right-winger Alex Jones had his social media accounts shut down on multiple platforms. Whereas in the first case, there was little outcry from the right side of the political spectrum. This time, there was little outcry from the left side. Censorship can cut both ways. Politicians and people, fads and fashions, moral standards and sensibilities shift like sand. They rock back and forth from one generation to the next, like pendulums. You might be free from censorship today, but that's no guarantee for tomorrow. Of course, some people argue, and they're legally right about this, whether they're ethically right or not, that private corporations have the right to censor content on their platforms. To take an extreme case, what if Twitter became a platform for neo-Nazis, or on the other side, for some genocidal planet-saving cult out of a Tom Clancy novel. And what if this group growth-hacked their way to a position louder than the other groups on the platform? Maybe Twitter really does want to protect us, to prevent society from turning into something out of The Handmaid's Tale, but even if they don't care about that, wouldn't everyone to the left of the neo-Nazis, or to the right of the genocide cult, abandon Twitter? as the cult made it a platform known for extremism? To protect its business, Twitter has to protect its brand, right? The Pittsburgh Post Gazette, likewise, has a large number of Trump supporters, or at least Trump sympathizers, among its readership. They'd be risking their place in the already struggling newspaper business if they kept the cartoonist Mr. Rogers on. So perhaps the places we get our media, the places through which we see the world, shouldn't be run by corporations that have to protect themselves. Can we create platforms that are uncensorable? Well, we're trying. Early decentralized social networks are starting to come online, and they resist censorship with permanence. One of these networks is Peepeth, P-E-E-P-E-T-H, a decentralized alternative to Twitter, the... ETH ending is a nod to Ethereum, the network that Peepith operates on. Peeps on Peepeth are forever. Once they're written to the blockchain, there's no taking them back, barring some massive network-wide event like the sun-going supernova. As we all know, in most blockchain projects, information can never be removed from the chain once it has been added. Of course, there are a couple of problems with censorship resistance. First off, forever is a long time. Do we really want to build social networks on a completely unmoderated blockchain, open to any content, posted permanently, posted without moderation, posted forever? I spoke with Bevan Barton, the creator of Peepith, about this very point. Bevan says, and this is a long quote, The blockchain's immutability is often misinterpreted as the reason Peepith exists. It is not. Rather." Peepeth is focused on cultivating mindful engagement and positive contribution. See peepeth.com forward slash about for more on that. The censorship resistance of the blockchain plays an important part in that, but censorship resistance is not the end in itself. End quote. I like the Peepeth project. It's quick and pretty easy to use, and it lets you verify yourself via Twitter, and even tweet automatically whenever you peep. And Peepeth isn't running an ICO or launching a token. They're just putting on a Kickstarter campaign to raise $60,000 for app development. The mindful engagement that Bevan refers to is the factors that make Peepeth users more hesitant to post bad content that they'll regret later. Though Peeps are free now for users above a certain threshold, Peepeth covers gas costs, they will presumably cost a tiny amount in the future and they'll be permanent, undeletable. That might be difficult to reconcile with GDPR regulations about the right to deletion and the right to be forgotten, but the idea is that the festival of spam and mindless nonsense that we see in many places on Twitter will not flourish on a platform like Peepeth. Peepith's setup is meant to discourage users from posting things they will regret deeply years later. But still, the main question remains. Imagine if everything you posted in your teens was public. In a future where things are permanent, will people suffer forever for the mistakes of their youth, like the poor suffering souls from a number of Black Mirror episodes? Maybe. Or will society, employers, and investigators become more understanding of posts from years back as it becomes clearer that everyone has skeletons in their closet, mistakes in their past, and shifts in their views over time. I hope so. So what about anonymous users? With their identity separate from their posts, anonymous users won't suffer from many of the consequences of posting peeps and other content they might regret deeply later. Well, this leads us to another issue. Anonymity unleashes the baser desires of people by eliminating consequences and accountability. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Westworld stays in Westworld, at least in Season 1. Will anonymity unleash the darkest sides of us? 4chan is an example of where humanity goes when anonymous and 4chan is far from the darkest place hidden among the various levels of the internet, Peepeth isn't a place that focuses on anonymity, but users can be anonymous if they wish. Bevan says that Peepeth is taking a middle-of-the-road approach that incorporates both censorship resistance and moderation. Here's a much longer quote. A common assumption is that Peepeth.com must be an anything-goes unmoderated platform because the blockchain is immutable. That is not accurate. Peepith's decentralized data store is censorship resistant, but peepith.com is moderated. It cannot remove data from the blockchain, but peepith.com will not display content that violates its code of conduct. Enforcement is transparent because of the open data store unlike on any centralized platform. So although Peepeth.com can remove content at its discretion, it is accountable to users because anyone is free to audit Peepeth's enforcement of its terms of service. Also, anyone can build and use another front end for the same set of open data without Peepeth.com's permission. Bevan also notes that Kickstarter backers at the $25 tier and up will have the option of auditing moderated content on peepith.com itself. You can find the peepith campaign at kickstarter.com. But hang on, there's still more for us to discuss. Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard would see another issue with all of this. With social media, everyone becomes an expert, and further leveling of everyone on social media platforms will just aggravate this problem. Anonymity potentially aggravates it even more, but we'll get to anonymity later. Even though our views change over the years, at least they do if we're thoughtful people, we tend to think that the views we hold today are correct, reasonable, and that they are the views we will hold for the rest of our lives. To us, the opinions we hold, we often consider to be expert opinions, regardless of whether we're experts or not. Danish existentialist philosopher Søren Kierkegaard wrote about these issues in the 1800s. Kierkegaard is famous for writing about angst and despair and the leap of faith. Well, how did he write about problems with social media and the internet in the 1800s? He was addressing the same problems with the press. His concerns, if correct, are amplified by the internet, which is a much, much easier platform to publish to than the press. Give everyone a platform, and everyone suddenly has an expert opinion on everything. This is especially true with celebrities. Basketball players with speaking platforms have opinions on legal cases. Larry King is consulted for his opinions on blockchain and renewable energy and people consult with astronauts to see what they think of sustainable fishing or child soldiers in Uganda, but this is also true with non-celebrities. The more your neighbor is on Facebook, the more things he or she will confidently post opinions about, and people with true expertise struggle amidst the noise of the many who don't know what the heck they're talking about. And majority rule, the community voting on which opinions are true and which are not, might not be a good gatekeeper. The majority has often been wrong, and the majority can be cruel. Public opinion, as it's called, is often fickle and full of fallacies. It changes generation to generation, decade to decade, year to year, sometimes day to day. Soren Kierkegaard pointed out that the press created a sense of public opinion. More and more people were able to engage in the political conversation, and that conversation moved from public debates, where people that were making opinions known had things at stake, to private venues, to coffee houses, to bars, to Facebook walls, to 4chan and Reddit threads, to places where people can discuss things anonymously, where people can discuss things without risk, and in many cases, where people can discuss issues which really don't affect them. Issues where they don't have skin in the game. Issues where they have undisclosed or subconscious conflicts of interest. I'm a big fan of thoughtfulness, of thinking through things before stating opinions. But many internet users post replies or even blog posts on topics of monumental importance with no more than a few seconds of thought. Of course, everyone should be allowed to speak, to have opinions, to argue for opinions, So this is an interesting problem. If we create a society where everyone is an expert, whether that means that public opinion rules or that self-proclaimed experts muddy the waters or, or both, will human knowledge and progress suffer as a whole? This future where the playing field of expertise becomes more and more leveled seems inevitable to me. It is already here. Our best hope is education as we move to a more decentralized world. Censorship is also sometimes advanced by financial or economic interference, including seizure of property. One story I remember from British history concerns the import of Bibles. The English church, which was at the time Catholic, didn't like the populace reading the Bible in English. A man named William Tyndale was translating much of the Bible into English. In so doing, he invented a number of English phrases we still use to this day, phrases like under the sun, fall flat on his face, the land of the living, pour your heart out, go the extra mile, and many, many more. But authorities opposed the work. The Archbishop of Canterbury, whose name sounds like a mistaken mispronunciation of Benedict Cumberbatch's, Bishop Cuthbert Tunstall, had to put a stop to this, so he bought up all the Tyndale Bibles he could in order to burn them (laughs) an insider was sending the money to Tyndale. Without that insider, perhaps English would never even have gotten the phrase, fall flat on your face. This kind of economic attack in order to try to control people is common. Communists under McCarthy had to hide their pamphlets to avoid being fired from their jobs. Economic censorship has ranged from international war to the homes of ordinary people. Terrorists in less lawful countries have their bank accounts frozen. YouTubers who say something the platform doesn't like get demonetized. If we could institute financial anonymity, it would prevent the latter, and perhaps also the former. YouTubers who have been demonetized by arbitrary YouTube guidelines are not strictly being censored, but this action is indeed a form of censorship. Now there's Dtube, a Steemit project. Dtube is a decentralized video platform that looks and works much like YouTube, without the threat of censorship and demonetization. I'm starting to post Wittgenstein's Table episodes to Dtube, but let's get back to financial anonymity. The government, or other actors, could attempt to take steps to prevent you from making money on Dtube, thanks to the transparency of the blockchain involved. They couldn't censor Dtube, but they could try to limit your profit from it. That would be an indirect form of censorship. It would reduce your ability, or your incentive, to post content. So for this and similar reasons, many projects think that transparency needs to take the back seat and let anonymity drive. ultimate in censorship resistance, has been an idea in the Bitcoin community since near the beginning. Tumblers were used to launder Bitcoins, but could also just be used by privacy conscious individuals. The early technology CoinJoin anonymized payments by grouping them together so that a number of people pay into a big pool, and then another number of people are paid from the pool. Dash, the cryptocurrency, optionally includes a similar technology in its private send feature. The largest cryptocurrency known for its anonymity, Monero, runs on an extension of this same principle with its Ring CTs, or Ring Signature Confidential Transactions. Other coins offer anonymity in different ways. Zerocoin technology, adopted by the cryptocurrencies Zcoin and more recently PIVEX, severs the story of a coin with each transaction, by burning the coin when it's received and then producing cryptographic proof that a coin was burned. Then that proof of burn serves as a new coin. Another privacy coin contender, Zcash, uses ZK-SNARKs, Zero Knowledge Succinct Non-Interactive Arguments of Knowledge, where zero-knowledge proofs allow parties to prove to each other that they know things, without actually revealing what it is they know. Then there are ZK Starks, zero knowledge, succinct, transparent arguments of knowledge, a more recent development. They will take this even further by allowing this proof without any reliance on a trusted setup, which ZK Snarks relies on. Some of this might sound crazy, but it's made possible with very complex cryptography. Ethereum's Vitalik Buterin has suggested that Ethereum is investigating the implementation of ZK Snarks or ZK Starks. Some cryptocurrencies use TOR to mask IP addresses. And other privacy technologies are in development. One is Mimblewimble, which will be used for the currency Grin once it's released. Mimblewimble doesn't build ring signatures or zero-knowledge proofs on top of a Bitcoin-like system like most solutions. It's privacy from the ground up. In a Mimblewimble transaction, all values are completely obscured. So, no matter which specific technology is adopted, privacy technology is coming. And smart contracts will ultimately be private too. Projects like Enigma are working on this. Accomplishing that will be a feat of engineering, but I believe it will be done. The big cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum, will offer optional privacy before long. It's sort of already achievable with Bitcoin using the right tools. But in order for people to be safely private, doesn't everyone need to be private? To demonstrate what I mean, let's improvise a story. It's the summer of 2015. Mr. Martin Boddy has been murdered in his mansion. There are ten main suspects. Eight of them have unencrypted text messages which have nothing incriminating in them. The other two are security professionals, Colonel Katsup and Professor Persimmon. They use a messenger with encryption. So police focus their efforts on these two suspects and it is soon discovered that Professor Persimmon once had a fight with Mr. Body over a girl, Scarlet, two decades before. The discovery is enough for a warrant, and police find photographs of Professor Persimmon and Scarlet in the professor's study amidst piles of other mementos from the past. And right next to those piles is a suspiciously dented candlestick that seems weighty enough to kill a man. Joking aside, you might see how a person who chooses privacy when it's optional immediately seems more suspicious to everyone. In order to really have safe privacy, you might need to have universal privacy. The Monero team also argues that privacy-optional protocols like Dash hurt everyone's anonymity. Put very simply, it's hard to know what the variable X is when you see the equation x plus y equals z (laughs) but it's much easier when you see three plus x equals five if only a small portion of transactions or accounts are anonymous state actors or bad actors have a much easier time at detective work at compromising privacy but speaking of state actors and bad actors what if instead they take advantage of privacy themselves how then will there be any accountability any investigation, any enforcement of law. It's here that we run into two ideas in blockchain that I think are sometimes at odds. Transparency and privacy. If we hope for a better world, a utopia even, is that a world where crime and corruption is difficult because records are transparent? Or is it a world where people are able to follow their convictions and passions and ambitions without being afraid of suppression and censorship, because transactions are private? Which one of these futures is utopian and which is dystopian? Is there some of both, utopia and dystopia, in each of them? To explore this, we'll consider two short stories next week on Wittgenstein's Table, the Crypto Philosophy Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm excited to have the podcast on many more platforms now, including Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, of course, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and SoundCloud. There are half a dozen more, too. So check your favorite podcast platform and leave a review to help others find Wittgenstein's Table. I'm on Twitter, Medium, and Peepeth as Wittgenstein, and I want to hear from you, especially if you have a suggestion for content or you even want to come on the podcast and discuss crypto philosophy. Wittgenstein's Table and the music on it are researched, written, recorded, and produced by me, Peter Kay, with the exception of the original theme song by Joseph Dickinson and music listed in the show notes. I do perform all of the pieces this week except for the intro, and there were a couple segments of ridiculous improv, but three of the pieces were by Cuban composer Ernesto Lecuona. As I mentioned, next week we'll explore a couple of short stories demonstrating a future with transparency versus a future with privacy. Which one should we prefer? Is there a middle ground? Next week on Wittgenstein's Table, the Crypto Philosophy Podcast.